great, great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and uh, welcome, uh, welcome to this live uh, showing of the Woj Pod, and welcome to the beginning of All Star Weekend in Indianapolis. I am excited. Yeah, I am excited for this weekend here. I have seen Indianapolis do a lot of big basketball events. I've covered Final Fours here. I covered my first NBA draft in 1994 uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, there, was no, there was no Twitter. I didn't have a cell phone. Grant, Grant Hill wasn't on the uh, uh, dais here. He was getting drafted third overall that year. Uh, but uh, there's no better basketball town, basketball community at every level than Indiana, than Indianapolis. And, and now, and listen, and we know such a big part of that now, uh, the revitalization of this Pacers team is the point guard who is the number one vote getter uh, in the all-star voting. Right, Tyrese Halliburton. So let's bring Tyrese out. Tyrese, come on out. All right. All right. All right. This is great. We have Tyrese, and then of course we're going to have Grant Hill a little bit later. Uh, in the podcast, maybe allow Tyrese to interview for a summer job with him, maybe in Paris. Right. <laughs> Next, sir. Uh, but Tyrese, been two big, you know, kind of like uh, tent posts in the league now during the regular season. There's the in-season tournament. There's All-Star Weekend, and now you'll be you'll have been at the center of both, getting the Pacers to Vegas, and now the number one vote getter career year, a Pacers team that I think has surprised a lot of people. Um, it's not been a bad first few months of 23-24. Yeah, it's been all right. It's been pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's exciting. I think for, you know, being here in Indy, you know, it's kind of considered a small market or whatever in the NBA, but I think that we were obviously able to make a great run in the tournament this year um, and then be here for All-Star Weekend. I think it just lets us showcase our city and lets us showcase our organization. Small market players aren't supposed to be number one in All-Star voting. That's not supposed to happen. How did that happen? Well, um, I think a lot of it has to do with success. I mean, individual awards and accolades and all this stuff come when you're winning, and I feel like we've done a good job of that this year. Um, but at the same time, I think that we just are a group, of, a group of guys and a team that people enjoy watching. Like, I feel like we put a good product out there on the court. Um, I always say around, like, Christmas time is when fans decide, like, is this team worth putting my money into? You know what I mean? And uh, I think this is the past two years in a row now that around Christmas, I feel like we, we're worth putting money into. So I think that's the exciting part about our group. For a kid who grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and your family is here, your dad's here, your mom, uh, they're in town for the weekend. You, your dad's got his Halliburton jacket, which has got pictures of childhood pictures on it, right? Like all the way up. Will the league let you wear that out for I hope Sunday not. night? I mean, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to ask. That's his, uh, that's his style, though. I mean, it's always been his style our whole, my whole life. So he, uh, there's a spot in Oshkosh called Two Blondes that my dad loves to go to. I think it's run by two blonde women, I'm assuming. <laughs> and uh, they're all into the bedazzling and um, putting words and stuff on shirts. So... I think my dad's keeping them in business, uh, uh, honestly. But you grew up when the Bucks were, you know, when you were younger, the Bucks sucked. The Bucks sucked. <laughs> and, not, and now it, it feels like now, especially this season with this group, like there's been a lot of stuff with the Bucks. You played them in the Final Four in Vegas, beat them there. You've beaten them a few times, had a few situations. <laughs> what? Is there a rivalry here? Is there? And now this weekend, now they're your teammates. Yep. 
Well, you know, I've been asked this a couple of times. Like, the way I view it, like, I don't want to say it's a rivalry yet because I feel like there's a proven championship team over there, and I've never played in a playoff game. So I won't necessarily call it a rivalry. I know that there are probably a lot of people out there that would, would call it that, and they, there's been obviously some extracurricular activities this season between the both of us. And um, so I don't know. I mean, right now in the standings, they're the three seed. We're the six seed. I think that people would enjoy to, to see that play. I would enjoy that playoff matchup. I think they would enjoy that playoff matchup as well. Well, that's it, right? If the season ended today, three and six, you play each other. When you beat them in Vegas, and you made a big three late in the game, you 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 did the Dame time. How, how how did he respond to that? How has he reacted to that? Had you planned to do it if you made a shot, or did it came in the moment? No, it was all in the moment. It was just like. I don't know. I feel like I didn't, like, cook that up before the game or something. It was just, like, in the heat of the moment. Like, I think we all – I mean, I might have got a, a little carried away, but I'm not taking it back. I mean, <laughs> it's, all, it's all in front of competition. And Honestly, I think that his response to it, um, I thought was I, – I liked it a lot. Like, I wasn't – I mean, it didn't seem like he was offended by it. He was like, listen, if I – if I give it, I got to be able to take it at the same time. And I thought the question was posed really well by whoever asked it. And, um, you know, he just, I, th I thought he gave a good response. And we've played him three times since then. And um, it's not like, I mean, we don't speak a ton or anything like that. So still, I think it's mutual love. I mean, part of the reason I wear zero is, is that guy, you know. So um, I think it's, it's still mutual respect and love. I think Giannis has gotten over the ball incident. <laughs> That, that, might have been, that might have been one of the most bizarre nights. I remember I was in Bristol, Sports Center was going on with it, and there was a, something else going on, and I kept getting texts about it. And I got, I wasn't watching your game. There maybe it was somebody was talking about a trade or something. And I, I finally had to get my attention that something strange had happened after the game. And then I think I talked to you later that night. I talked to Rick Carlisle and got a sense of it, but I still don't understand it. I don't think anybody does. Um, yeah, I think he's over it. I mean, I don't know. We played him like two more times after that, and he was cool and calm, and I mean, as he probably should be. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, we'll be together a couple days this week, so I'm sure that will come up in the locker room if I have a conversation about it. The responsibility of being a franchise player, Tyrese, and it wasn't – you haven't necessarily been groomed for it. It wasn't what necessarily you might have thought you were going to be. When you got cut from an AAU travel team in ninth grade, it wasn't necessarily. That's not usually what guys who become franchise players, your route is unique. And you came in under the radar in recruiting, in the draft, and, and all of a sudden now you, the work you've put in and the success you've had, this is an organization that is building it around you. What do you think are the responsibilities of a franchise player when you think about what, what you are, in your mind, mandated to do to, to carry on that role beyond putting up numbers, even beyond winning? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, obviously, like, the main one is obviously representing yourself, representing my organization in the right way. Like, anything I do... And I'm walking outside, like everything I do, I'm representing not only myself but and my family, but the organization as well. But I think the biggest part about it is, like, I feel a responsibility to um, protect our organization. Like, in the sense of being here in Indy, everybody knows going into next year, we have a lot of cap room. And uh, that was even before we made the tra trade for Pascal. And so me and Pascal talked. There was the rumors that he could get traded here, and we had a conversation a couple weeks before, and it was just kind of like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, and neither of us really do, but I want to know, like, do you actually want to be here? Like, tell me the truth. I'm not going to get offended. I've had – he's not the first person I've asked that question. I've asked people a question, hey, do you want to be in Indiana? And they just tell me no. And then I'm like, thanks, because, like, that makes me feel better. I can move on to that. always want – you want yes or no. Yeah, don't – What you hate is maybe. Don't give me that. Give me the real answer. Um, so he said no. Or so he's like, yeah, bro, I want to be in India. I see 
there's a lot of possibilities between uh, what we can do on the floor, how we, how we will connect, and um, I'd be excited, excited to go there. And so we just kind of had more dialogue. We probably talked on the phone for like 30, 40 minutes. I like stepped aside at dinner just to talk to him. And um, yeah, I don't, we both at the end of the conversation were like, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's the NBA. Like if, like Woj is tweeting about it already, it, who knows if it's even going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but it, we like, there's a lot of moving parts, but it ended up happening. And so I'm really excited that he's here. And he seems like we spend a lot of time together now. Um, I have the utmost faith that this is somewhere where he wants to be, and um, I have the utmost faith that we know we're going to be able to retain him this summer and uh, continue on doing what we're doing. When you say that you feel like you need to be protective of the organization, as part of that, you have this historic offense. You are uh, you're as good of a passer as there is in this league everybody's numbers are going to be inflated here and you've got cap space is part of that. I don't want people coming here to just be thinking about inflating their numbers, digging into our cap space to get paid. I want you to come here because you want to do what? Yeah. Right. You want, yeah, exactly. I mean, I want you to be here, you know, to win. Like, um, it's funny. Gilbert Arenas was talking about this the other day and, uh, and I'll listen to everything Gilbert Arenas has to say, but, um, uh, <laughs> But he, he was like, uh, the funny thing about Halliburton is that, like, the problem is that he's going to make guys look so good that they're just going to get big money somewhere else and just end up leaving them. And I was, I was like, he's, I don't know what he's talking about. And then I walked away and I was like, oh, maybe he's speaking facts. I don't know. Uh, but no, I mean, yeah, of course, I'm probably somebody that guys want to play with. I think that, you know, my style of basketball, our team style of basketball is attractive to guys. But um, at the end of the day, like, I think that I just want people to come here for the right reasons. I don't want you to come here to, to use us to move forward and to move on in your career. I want, if you decide to come to India, I want it to be for the right reasons. And um, this is somewhere I plan to be th for the rest of my career. So, um, yeah. You were able to finally play with Pascal. I think your first game together was in Portland. You're coming off the hamstring injury. How much were you driven to come back because you wanted to be there for his opening game? You got the 65 game rule out there. You, you want to be all NBA. It's worth another $50 million on your deal. And it's important to be, you want to be in the MVP conversation. You want to be able to be voted on all those things that come with it. Um, was that a murky time for you trying to figure out what, what's best for me? What's best for the team? I want Pascal to come in here with me on the floor with them. What was that going through that like? Because even now you're still, they're not playing you your full complement of minutes quite yet. Yeah. Right. Um, well, we played in Sacramento the game before, and Lord knows I wanted to play in that game. Um, but they, you know, our training staff was just like, no, not yet. It's probably not the right time. But, you know, let's just wait till the Portland game. We think that the Portland game could happen. And then we ended up making the trade for Pascal, and I already was planning on playing. So, um you know, I think that coming back, like, the, originally when we when I got hurt, it was kind of like, we're going to reevaluate him after the trip. And as the trip went on, the days went on, we were in Utah and stuff, and I was starting to, I was feeling better every day. So um, I think that if this, I think potentially if the 65-game thing wasn't a thing, we probably would have waited the full West Coast trip. But at the same time, my body was feeling better. So, um, and I wanted to play with Pascal. I wanted him to feel the love in our first game back, and I wanted to just be on the floor with him, you know, in his, in, in his first game with the organization. So um, my, at the end of the day, my body just didn't react the way I wanted it to and the way we wanted it to. Um, you know, I thought that I would just, if it was a little bit of pain, I could just push through it and be good the next day. I didn't think that I could re-aggravate it. And, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of had to, had to bite that bullet. And, um, yeah, it was frustrating, but, I mean, we're getting there. When you first went down with the injury, it was Miami – Right? Was Boston, Boston, Boston. It looked like you feared you had done something much worse to yourself than it. You, you looked scared yeah, coming off the sure. court. For sure, no question. I mean, I think for anybody as like a, I would say professional athletes could all probably agree. Like anytime getting injured is is scary because you don't know what the future looks like, right? And I've obviously signed a contract, a long term contract, whatever. 
but I'm thinking about this year. I want to win. I want to go to the playoffs. I got all these goals and plans and aspirations. And so, um, you know, I was like, dang, my leg hurts. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And I went to get up. And when I went to take that first step, my leg didn't really lift. And that was kind of, that was just like immediately went into shock. You know, and I put the towel over my head because I think I was just overwhelmed with emotions in that moment. And um, I think that it was definitely scary. But, I mean, I walked out of there on, on my own power. And so that gave us some more confidence. And the next day after the MRI, I was basically told it was kind of the, the best new, better than what our training staff had previously um, thought could happen. So, yeah, it was definitely a scary moment for me, but I'm just thankful that I'm still able to, to play, and hopefully after this this break I can get back to my full minutes and be good to go for, for every game. What's it like the morning after you sign a super max deal that can be worth up or over $200 million? Like when you wake up the next morning, do you just lay there for a minute and go, did that really just happen? Well, okay, there's <laughs> okay. Well, there's two things. One, you wake up in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, that's number one. <laughs> and uh, number two is, yeah, I lay there and you know I think I do it like every day now. Like there's sometimes like where I just sit there and I'm like I reflect on my life because. I think that we all should do that more as human beings is just reflect on where we are and where our feet are. And like recently I've moved to journaling and stuff just because it's things that I don't want to forget in my life. You know, things that happen that I just don't want to forget about. And uh, yeah, that next day, waking up in the afternoon, I'm just like thinking about how crazy it is that, you know, I'm a kid from Oshkosh, Wisconsin that has the opportunity to do what I can. And um, you know, I'm in, I'm in the NBA first and foremost, but not only that, I'm able to sign a big deal. And then it was like, how can I get IVs here as fast as possible? That's like, that was my day. <laughs> you know, I remember seeing you uh, you're about maybe six or seven days before the trade to Indiana. You guys had played in Philly the night before with the Kings. You had played an incredible game. You had lost a close game. And the next day, <laughs> I see you in the hotel. I went over to see some of the front office guys with the Kings Vivek Ranadive, their owner, came through, and they're all just talking to me about you, about building this thing around you, and, and we're going to figure this out. And I saw you, I was walking out, and I think you were coming off the elevator, and we stopped and talked, and I said, hey, I think things are going to be, <laughs> I said, I think things are going to be great here, Tyrese. I think, I think this is, and this, it is a good front office, Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox, and I think, you know, they've done a great job. They drafted you, um, they built a great team, <laughs> and my credibility with you, six days later, you were out of there. You were out of there. And as that trade's happening, I do remember that day, there were a few of us trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together because we knew something was happening. Uh, I had a sense it was those two teams and you were the player. Uh, but the trade wasn't done yet. And there was an interesting confluence of phone calls, right, that, <laughs> night, that day? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I have to tell this story because I'm on your pod. How can I not tell this story? So, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard the trade story a million times, but I get a call that morning. Hey, you're going to get traded. We think you're going to get traded. We don't know. I'm like, what? Uh, okay, like, whatever. So I hang up. They're like, we'll, we'll call you back later. We've we'll, we got to figure some stuff out. Bye. So I'm like, what? So then my girlfriend comes upstairs, and I'm like, hey, we're a couple days away from the trade deadline. I think we could get traded soon, but don't worry about it. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Let's just, like, be professional, move on. So then I get another call right away. And it's like, hey, like, now it's just kind of conversating. Like, hey, we, they're being weird. They're not answering our calls. Weird stuff is happening. And they're like, we just don't know who the team is. And I'm like, who could it be? Is it, like, is it Philly? Like, I could go to Philly for Ben Simmons. Like, is that what it is? And then... <laughs> Woj's voice comes on. I think it's Indiana. And I'm like, what? How is Woj on the phone? Like, I'm thinking this is a call with my agents. Like, Woj is on the phone. So I look at my phone and I'm like, Indiana for who? And they're like, it's a bonus. And I'm like, what? And then, I mean, long story short, five minutes later, I got traded. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that just goes to show you, like, where this guy is like mysterious. You, know, you, don't, you don't know where he is. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. You know, it's funny. You said something, and we talked about this uh, last year when we sat down, uh, and that was a great way to look at it. You and De'Aaron Fox, you said to me, 
we were better apart than we were together. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, both of your careers, having the ball, your two guys having the ball in your hands meant everything. And it's very rare in the NBA that trades sometimes are very lopsided now. They're star player for young players and picks. It's very rare. It's I have a need and they have a need and we're going to trade two stars because we have two point guards and we don't have a big, vice versa. Indiana had more bigs. There aren't many trades like that anymore. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I hear it every day. I see it every day. It's probably the biggest win-win trade, I mean, to a lot of people ever. Um, I think that's helped them. They obviously went to the playoffs last year, had a really successful season. Um, and I think that it's pushed my career to new, new heights. And not only me, I think that there are people who are affected indirectly that weren't traded. Like, obviously, means the most got traded for each other, but... I think that it's made Fox a better player. It's made Miles Turner a better player. Um, and I think just other other people have been thriving due to the trade as well. So I think everybody is has worked has worked out for everybody. And, I mean, I think everybody's happy. I'm happy with it. So I think everybody should be good. Tyrese, the East this year, Joel Embiid is out. No telling when he'll be back, and if he is back, maybe just before the playoffs, you know, is he going to come back in playing at an MVP level, or is he going to do what probably you have to coming off of knee surgery? It's going to take time at a time of the year where you don't have it. Milwaukee has had its issues, largely what you guys have exposed with them, which is their ability to guard speed and quickness on the perimeter. You guys, I think, have... Uh, illustrated that in the way that you played them you know bought Detroit or excuse me uh, New York has been tremendous and they've been hit with some of these injuries now Miami's had injuries but your group being able to integrate Pascal Siakam now Buddy Heald's obviously gone to Philly is is the in, in Boston's I think most still see Boston as a team to beat does this thing still feel more wide open to you than maybe you would even thought early in this year? Yeah, I think so. I think this, that's just the league, though. Like, I think there's more. Rick says it all the time. Like, I think the league is in a place now where it's kind of like probably the most parity our league has had in a long time. Now, there's two teams that everybody sees as kind of you, – you, you expect – I mean, most a casual NBA fan. Cleveland, and, we, and I didn't mention Cleveland. Yes. They're playing as well as anyone. But a casual NBA fan it probably expects to see a Boston-Denver finals. But I think that there's a lot of teams that can give other teams problems. And, you know, you can never account for health and all, all, those, all those things. But, um, yeah, I, I think I always say, like, people keep talking to me about playoffs, whatever. The way I kind of look at it is, like, let me get in the playoffs. I'm playing with house money. I ain't never been there before, so I ain't got nothing to lose. You know, I think that's that's the exciting part about it. And yeah, like you said, there's a lot of teams in in both conferences that that can compete and uh, cause different problems. So I'm excited to see what the second half of the season looks like, and I'm really excited about the playoffs as well. Did the in-season tournament, the environment, go into essentially a Final Four, winning a game here that gets you there? Did that give a team that had no playoff experience together maybe a little taste of what it might feel like? I mean, I think so. I mean, I was going up to like guys like Bruce and TJ and Lloyd and Rick like after games. Like, is is that what a playoff game feels like? <laughs> like, I have no idea. Um, but I mean, that game against Boston that we won here. I mean, that was probably the most energy I've ever felt in a building for an NBA game. And, uh, like, it was just the back and forth of, like, elite shot making, getting stops at the right time. Um, the crowd was into it both both ways. Everybody just wanted to see a good competitive game. And so I think that we showcased that we can, we can play in a playoff environment, I feel like, because, again, I've been told that that's what the playoffs feel like. Um, but, you know, I think what I'm more interested about is kind of the chess match of – a seven-game series, okay, you win game one and you can kind of see how both teams are going to play and how can you adjust. Like, that's what I'm excited about, how adjustments work and stuff. Like, I don't, but I don't, I don't play chess, but I, I think that I've been told that's what it's like. Playing for Rick Carlisle, like when people have looked at Rick Carlisle teams through the years, this is not what they look like. You know, super fast, offensive records, but Rick has maximize the talent he has and found a way to play. But does the defense still sometimes, like, just 
Like you see his heartbreak a little bit sometimes when you just, you're winning, but uh, it's hard for him to do it that yeah, way, right? Yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, honestly speaking, early in the year, we were putting up 140, 150, it felt like every night. Like we were unstoppable. And, but <laughs> we didn't get any stops. I'm not, that was early. But I feel like, I honestly feel like it's adjusted. Like it's not as bad as it was because offensively, we don't put up 150 every night anymore. Like through the month of January, I think we were like, 15th in offense like now mind you I think we're still number one on the season and historically we'll have probably the greatest offensive rating in an NBA season ever so our offense is good yes yes um, but I, I think Shaq alluded to it on TNT like uh, around in-season tournament time and I don't watch TNT a lot but we were on there this time so I was watching this time but Shaq was kind of like you know they just got to figure out how to get stops at the right moments and that's kind of how I view it like Yes, we're going to have to buckle down and get stops at the right time, but, like, we didn't just win these games in the in-season tournament because we outscored teams. Like, you know how hard it is to stop Boston? Like, that's not – you know how hard it is to stop Milwaukee? Like, that's not easy. We're figuring it out. And I think, like, the trials and tribulations of an 82-game season, that will help us figure it out by the, by the end of it. So, um, you know, we just got to figure out how we can be, you know, not – I don't want to say – average but we got to be better defensively and offensively maintain what we do and I mean I don't even know what we are in defense but if we were I know we're not 15 we're not better we're not we're under we're below average but I think if we were average like we'd probably be two three seed you know so like we just got to figure out how to how to get stops at the right times this episode is brought to you by progressive most of you aren't just listening right now you're driving cleaning and even exercising But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed, who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings may vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Tyrese, I, I think we're going to bring out uh, m- maybe your future boss this summer, the Team USA Managing Director and a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer who's had a few moments in the city of Indianapolis in his career. Uh, we're going to bring out Grant Hill. All right, there we go. We got a mic for you. I, I told Tyrese that I had set up an interview with him for a summer internship with you in Paris. Uh, we'll get to Team USA in a minute, but... Grant, whenever the plane is landing in Indiana and you think of all the moments you've had in this city, think McDonald's All-American game, 1991 Final Four, beating UNLV, and then winning a national championship against Kansas and the play that is really one of the iconic plays in the history of Final Fours, Bobby Hurley's lob way up over the rim. You come back, dunk it. The first NBA draft I ever covered, 94, was your draft in this city, right? Big Dog, Jason Kidd, and you, right? Uh, it's been a pretty special place for you. It has been. First of all, I didn't know we, we came in the same time. So we both <laughs> entered into this whole NBA ecosystem at the same time. But, yeah, those are all signature moments. And for me to have experienced them here uh, in Indianapolis, my first – uh, NCAA Final Four that I broadcast with Jim Nance was here in 2015. Uh, so, yeah, definitely great memories. And I think, like, my last – you got – don't quote me on this, but I think my last two or three years in the league when I was old and hobbling around on the court, my season high was here in Indiana. <laughs> so I've always had – even at the very end, I've had good memories and good experiences here and uh, – you know, I've always enjoyed uh, playing and being in Indianapolis. I, I'd ask Tyrese if he remembers a few of those things. Of course, he wasn't even 
was, close to being born yet. I was right. negative nine. <laughs> <laughs> you two spent uh, the summer together uh, in the FIBA World Cup uh, with the USA team, and, and obviously you, you have a finalist list of 30-plus players for this Olympic roster. Let me start with this, Grant. When you took on the job replacing Jerry Colangelo to oversee the national team program, which you know, certainly there's lots to it, but people largely focus on the Olympics, especially in this country. Other countries, the World, the, the World Cup means is much or more, but here it's the Olympics. What's that job like, putting that team together and then the pressure that you've got to win because nobody accepts anything less than a gold medal here. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, first of all, it's, it, it's not ceremonial by any stretch of the imagination. And, um, you know, the World Cup, as you said, is very different than the, world, uh, than the Olympics. And I think the influence of soccer on the international stage, I always say that uh, in, the, in the sport of soccer, uh, the World Cup might be bigger than the Olympics in soccer. And so for a lot of our international players and our international stars, like they really want to do it. Uh, a lot of our older, more seasoned stars in the NBA, you know, maybe I did that a few years ago. I don't want to do that now, but I'll be ready for the Olympics. And so, but I looked at it as, a, as an opportunity to, to really reach out to some of our younger players and get them in the system, get them in the pipeline. Obviously, uh, Tyrese, uh, great story. We, we connected a year ago at All Star in Salt Lake, and uh, we were filming. We were filming a commercial. I can't remember what it was for, but we were. Uh, I was interviewing him. Get your uh, LLC for free at uh, Legal Zoom. Legal Zoom. Legal Zoom. Yes, an NBA sponsor. I should remember that. And so, so I interviewed Tyrese and a few other guys, and we made these little kind of like you know those, those like, um, like I don't know social media interviews on the street or whatever. And so that's, that was the concept. And I was just like blown away at his maturity. Like forget about his game, but just his maturity. He was thoughtful. Uh, he had a great smile. He was very engaging. And so um, he even talked with his agent afterwards. Uh, and I was just like, man, this, this kid's incredible, you know? And, um, and so, but a chance to connect with some of these young guys, get them in the mix, um, get them exposure to the FIBA game. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, so there's, there's assembling the roster and uh, calling Tyrese, bothering him, calling, I don't know if Dave Spawn's here, but, but calling his agent, all the agents. Um, it's like putting together, you know, the pieces to a puzzle. And, um, and then we embark on the journey. And, you know, Tyrese can speak to it, the six and a half weeks, you know, John and Brenda became my best friends. Uh, I spent a lot of time with, with, with the families. And, uh, but it's just ma managing a, a grind and, uh, and also being mindful and respectful that these guys go through a regular season grind. And uh, so we try to make sure we, 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 we take care of them. We, the accommodations are good and um, nothing sort of, you know, there's no, um, you know, there's no drop off from what they're accustomed to. And to their credit, they came out, they worked hard, they did everything. It was a wonderful, wonderful group. You know, we just, at the end there, the last week, we didn't quite get over the hump. But I'm excited because they, they're excited and they want to continue to be a part of it. And so it's not just thinking about last summer, but it's thinking about the next decade. And, and so anyway, that, that, that was part of it. But yeah, now I'm, I'm you know, still calling folks, still have meetings while I'm here with agents. And um, there's a lot more excitement for this Olympics and it's in Paris. And uh, I think we'll have a chance to, to, to have success. I really do. And, uh, but, you know, regardless of who, we got to play. And uh, we can't just show up. We have to come out and compete. Um, and, um, you know, if we do, we'll give ourselves a chance for a gold medal. What did you learn, Tyrese? No, absolutely. What did you learn about the difference between NBA basketball, American basketball, and FIBA basketball? Yeah, I mean, there's a multitude of, of different things that, that play into it. I'll say a couple of things that are different. Like, in the NBA, 
offensively, everybody just runs high pick and roll. Like, you just run high pick and roll, high pick and roll, and if that doesn't work, run high pick and roll again. <laughs> and in the FIBA game, it doesn't really work that way. Teams play more. I feel like they're, you know, from a younger age, they, they play a different style of basketball. You know, they're passing and cutting, and I would, I would say that on a, from a general scale, you would probably say that, you know, the European teams probably play better off the ball than, than we do. I, I would say that they move pretty well. And so it's just kind of figuring out um, that. And, and then the game is just so much more physical. The things that you can, you know, get away with here, little bumps, little, little things, stuff like that. It's just, a, it's just like a whole different brand of basketball. It's a different style. And, you know, you, just, you come together with a group of guys and, you know, you just got to adjust quickly and figure it out. But um, I think that that challenge is a lot of fun. And, you know, I think basketball is – second biggest sport in the world, you know, and I think the NBA, people love watching NBA, so when we travel and we get to see, um, you know, all the different fans around and stuff and get to compete in front of them, I think it's a lot of fun and something that I think everybody wants to be a part of. And can I jump in? I think, you know, you're spot on. I think also what's unique, and I remember Steve Kerr talked about it. He said, you know, first day when we met as a group, and he said, you'll see guys that in the NBA might be an eighth, ninth, tenth man on their team, and then when they get with their country, they have superpowers and they play out of their mind. And I, I think what happens is you assemble uh, guys and most of the guys like a Tyrese, like they're the center of their team. And then now you have to sacrifice a little bit. And, and, and so maybe you're asked to do less than what you're accustomed to, whereas a lot of those guys are asked to do similar or more. And, and so how do you blend in and sacrifice but still maintain your identity in who you are. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act right there. And I, I really got a, a real respect for it up close and personal. I do think, though, and I'm, you know, I'm maybe selling a little bit here, but I do think taking yourself out of your comfort zone, we all know those are when those growth opportunities happen. And I think we see examples of guys who took a leap. I think Tyrese is one. I think maybe Anthony Edwards. You could say Paulo Bancaro. Uh, now, you guys made it take, taking a leap anyway because uh, <laughs> you guys are all great young players. But uh, I, I do think that that challenge of, like, how do I contribute? You know, how do I sacrifice? How do I blend in? But then also maintain my identity. It's really, really fascinating. The way that USA Basketball had kind of been run, not uniformly, but – Jerry Colangelo had wanted, hey, if you're going to play in the Olympics, I'd like you to play in the Worlds. Not everybody was going to duplicate both. Where you've essentially said, we're okay with having completely different teams. That if LeBron and Kevin Durant and, um, you know, our first team All-NBA, like, we don't necessarily expect that. Um, is there any value to having any continuity from a cup team to an Olympic team, or if you have, you know, maybe minus one or two players, if it's a whole new group, that's fine. Yeah, so first of all, back in 2005, 2006, when Jerry Colangelo took over, obviously the program was suffering, we weren't doing well, there was no structure or organization. And so getting those commitments in 2006, 2007, 2008, three-year commitment, the World Cup then was... I guess it was every other year. So um, instead of back-to-back -back years, uh, that was huge in terms of just establishing or, or resetting things and establishing the culture for the program. And it brought that continuity, which was important. That's when it really kind of ended. I mean, like after that, moving forward, you never really had that two-, three-year commitment. And um, But I, I do think, look, if you – I mean, I really do believe – and I'm not saying this is going to, there's no announcements here today. But I think if you took that same team and took them next year or to another FIBA event, I think the experience of last year, like you have to go through it to understand it. And I think it would, would better prepare them. And I think we would probably do, be, do better. I'm not saying we'd win gold or whatever, but I think we would show better and maybe win a, a medal um, or possibly win gold. And so... Having that experience, understanding what you're about to get yourself into is incredibly valuable. And, you know, when you look at the roster, the list of 41 names that we put out, most of them have had the experience. You have young guys who just recently went through it. 
Uh, you have guys who are maybe more in their prime. You look at a guy like Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, and then you have some of the older legacy guys that are closer in age to me, uh, but who have been. So they understand what they're about to embark upon, and I think that's hugely important. Are, when you're putting together a national team, or FIBA team, are there players that you think sometimes people don't understand, this is a great NBA player, this may not be a great FIBA player. Are there cert some certain characteristics that you have to have when you go play in that tournament? I mean, you, you've seen the two. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. I think just because you have success in the NBA doesn't necessarily translate to success on the FIBA stage. Uh, a lot of the things that Tyrese talked about, the physicality, um, the style of play, uh, the style of play being like we typically here in the NBA, we beat you with great, uh, great one-on-one -on -one play, great um, talent. And it's, they beat you with like precise execution. They don't have guys that can just sort of break you down and go get a bucket. So they really execute their stuff. The physicality, I mean, it's, you know, I know they were rivals back in the day, but it's kind of like the Knicks in the, in the early 90s or even the Pistons bad boys back in the late 80s, like the physicality is something that we don't see in our game. So there's a lot of adjustment, and a lot of it was, I think, a first time for our guys. And so, um, so yeah, certain guys, and I won't name who they are or what have you, but certain guys, um, their games don't necessarily translate. And then there's certain guys who you, you look at and say, you know what, like they would do really well on this stage. And so it's just, you know, a coach once told me, and I use this analogy all the time, you know, to put on a great piano recital, you need a piano mover, you need a piano tuner, and you need a piano player. And you need all three in order to have a great performance. And it's the same thing with a team. You got to put together, you can't just have all superstars. You know, you need people who can move some pianos. Ideally, a piano player who can move a piano too would be <laughs> nice. But, but yeah, I mean, putting together that roster, those pieces, some of those names are guys who may not, um, may, not, may not be as glamorous as some of the other names, but they can do something specific that we feel may translate on the FIBA stage. Tyrese, what's the pressure like when you put that uniform on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just there's an expectation when you put that uniform on. Like, I think us as a country, we don't – like when you – when you guys watch USA basketball, you don't say, oh, they're going to lose. Like, <laughs> you're like, if you see us playing, I don't know, some random country like Lithuania, you're like, they're going to win. Like, we don't, they don't have, they have one NBA player over there. They're supposed to win. And then we lost to Lithuania this summer. You know, I think that there's just an expectation when you put that uniform on that has, you know, been instilled for a long time. And, and our expectation when we play is to uphold that. You know, and so I think that there's the pressure of that. And um, but I, I think that that's what we you know, you got to accept that you got to relish in that and love that. And that's that's part of the fun part of playing for USA is that there's a target on your back. Like every game we're getting every team's best shot. Like that Lithuania game I just spoke about, I think they shot like 60 percent from three, 57 percent from three. Like they could not miss. And then. I'm watching the next game and guys are missing jumpers and I'm yelling at the TV like, why are you missing against us, you know? But uh, that's, that's, what, that's what comes with it. I mean, I think these guys see us play in the NBA. It's the best, best basketball league in the world. And they see us and when we play against them, they, they want a shot at that. They want to play against the best. So that's, I think, the best part about it is you're, just, you're going to get everybody's best shot and that's the fun part about it. Hey, Grant, Tyrese and I touched on this a little bit in the first half hour. The 65-game rule that the league put in this year uh, to be eligible for postseason awards, to be eligible to get that super max clause in your contract. How have you seen that impact the league this year? Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, you look at someone like Joel Embiid, and uh, I'm not just saying that because he's a candidate for this summer, but, you know, he was having an incredible season. And... Um, and, you know, and, and still is, and we hope that he can, you know, get back and contribute uh, for his ball club. Uh, maybe not Pacer fans, but I think the NBA <laughs> community hopes that he can get back. But um, assuming he, he, he wasn't 
hurt with the surgery he had and they were continuing to monitor him, um, you know, he could potentially miss out on not just the postseason awards, but, you know, sort of the financial uh, ramifications. And so I understand sort of the league's perspective. And, um, you know, we've the pendulum has, has swung so far. <laughs> you know, I remember, I don't know if you remember Rick Mahorn. Rick Mahorn, okay, you're showing your age. Um, so Rick Mahorn, one of the bad, the original bad boy, according to him, came back when the bad boys were teal uh, in the 90s and we were teammates. And, um, you know, I was leading the team in 96, 97. I was leading in points, rebounds, assists, maybe steals. I was like second in the league in minutes. I was like 40 a game in minutes and uh, played every game. And, and then I come to practice one day and, and my calf is sore. And so Mike Abdenauer, the trainer then of the Pistons, sits me out of practice. And Rick is like, soft-ass dookie, you know? <laughs> and it's like, man, I can't sit out of practice, you know? But, like, that was the mindset. Like, that was – and even some of the older guys, I think, can be very critical of today's generation because they're looking at it through the lens of what they experienced. Uh, now, you flip it, if we were in today's environment, I don't go through my ankle ordeal. You know, I don't go through four years of, of, of hell trying to get back and play and misdiagnose and being pushed out there. Uh, and so I, I understand uh, and I understand the importance and value of protecting guys and looking out for their interests. So I applaud that. But we got to find a, a balance there and, and, and decipher between when, when guys are really hurt and then when people are – because, look, I, I, you know, television media, I mean, that's the business we're in. That's what drives this. And that rule was put in because there is a new <laughs> media rights deal being negotiated. <laughs> no question. There's no question why. We, we all know why. No, no question. And so, you know, look, you, you, you need, I need, you know, I, I, and I know you were hurt, and I'm, I'm glad you're better now because that was, if, if I felt like that, I'd be out for two years. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, like we need Tyrese Halliburton out there. Like he, he, he People want, want to see him. He's electrifying. He's magnetic. Like, he plays at a high level. And uh, so the stars being out there, I think historically that's how we sold the game. So I understand it. But, you know, ho hopefully we can figure it out and it can settle in over time. Um, but, you know, I'm always going to give players the benefit of the doubt when they're hurt. And I used to say, I tell people, like, if you're hurt, you know, and they tell you you're ready to play, wait another week. You know, wait another, give yourself peace of mind and you feel comfortable, um, there's enough basketball out there to get back and play and get your time in and whatever. So I don't know if I really – I sound like a politician. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, I, I don't I, mind I thought it. you were going to run in Florida for governor. I really wish you had. Oh, man. <laughs> These questions are getting harder and harder here, you know. That's all right. <laughs> well, well, you got the Orioles to help run now, too. Grants in everywhere. Grants in everywhere. Um, <laughs> But Tyrese, here's the question is, you know, what you don't want is an injured player getting near that 65-game threshold and playing when he shouldn't be playing because you, you don't want to become ineligible for those things. And now you're injured. Now we lose that guy in the playoffs or a team doesn't have him at 100%. That's, I think, the part of the rule that you didn't want to see happen. But when you talk to some GMs in the league and coaches, they are concerned now that, you know, the league has made it a lot harder to even rest guys, sit them. And when you have the in-season tournament, when you have the longer all-star break, you're jamming more games into a shorter window. And that a lot of people think, my team is exhausted. And exhausted, tired players are the ones who get injured, right? And uh, that while we understand why the league wanted this and the Players Association agreed to it, do you sense that, like, because of the in-season tournament, how it's structured, we are – like, guys are really tired. We're jamming a lot of games in. And, you know, I hope this plays out the way they, they wanted it to. But, like, there might be a toll to pay later um, for putting the pressure on people the way they are now. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the biggest – I mean, I think that this is something that will be reviewed after the year, right? And I do think that this rule, it only really affects – four or five people, like, this year, right? Like, there's only so many people that can be financially affected by this. Now, Joel, now that he's hurt, 
he probably's not going to win MVP. He would he would have walked to MVP playing the way he has. But he's not going to win MVP, and that's more of a a legacy thing. Like, does that hurt Joel Embiid financially? No, it does. It really doesn't. Like, he's a super max player, no matter what he does. But like me, Ant, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, like we're all coming. Where if we make All NBA this year, our contract goes up forty forty million dollars. You know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> The, the problem for me right now is that like every I can't I can't go anywhere and say this without social media attacking me for saying complaining about money like I'm a like I'm broke or something. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's forty million dollars that I feel like should be mine. You know, like I have the the opportunity to grab that, and I feel like anybody should want that, right? Uh, like I could I could probably buy the city of Oshkosh for forty million dollars. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I think. There's a couple, like, there's a, a, it'll be reviewed after the year, but, I mean, I think that there's different ways to go about it, but for my biggest thing is, if I played 63 games, if if Jokic played 63 games instead of 65, you still vote him MVP, you know what I mean? Like, it, that doesn't really matter, but then it becomes a judgment thing, and how do you correctly make that, that decision, and let, let me tell you, that's not an easy job, it's not an easy decision, at the end of the day, the league, in spirit, made the right decision. We, as a fan of the game, we want to see the best players play. I'm all for that. If I could play 82 games in a year, I'd play 83. Like, I want to play on the floor. Um, but I, I think that at the same time that I think the media having a vote for the All-NBA and that affecting who gets the upgrade in the contract, now that's a whole different subject as well. Like, these are multiple problems that have to be talked about. But, I mean, hey, if I if I really I could join the PA and have something to say about it, but I'm not, so I'm kind of sounding like a hypocrite right now. So I'm gonna be quiet. But yeah, we gotta we gotta figure it out as a league for sure. Grant, the level of play in the league right now compared to when you played, I think such a bigger part of it. There are more players from more parts of the world playing at a high level in this league. Is the talent in your mind? not just better than it's ever been, but maybe even exponentially when you think of all the places now this league draws talent from. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think 30% of the league, at least maybe a year ago at the start of the season, 30% of the NBA uh, were, were born outside of the U.S. And so uh, the globalization of the sport, the success of the dream team and what David Stern looked to accomplish. You see it now on display um, with the league being, you know, just representation from all over the world. Uh, I think also just the skill level, the shooting, um, I think the sophistication in how, uh, how players train, um, you know, I think all of that factors into, yes, hands down, Overall, I think the skill is off the charts. And then, you know, I, I think so much so that I'm being critical here of, uh, of the league and that the offense is so good and guys can do some amazing things and the spacing is such that you need to give the defense a chance to defend. And I think... So what does that mean? Like if I'm, if I'm playing against the Pacers, high-scoring team, guys who can do a number of things, I'm guarding Tyrese, I'm a little nervous about playing really hard defense because I might pick up two fouls. And so if you allow the de- – I'm not saying go back to the, you know, the bad boys era, but if you allow the defense to play, you allow there to be a little bit more physicality, I think players love to compete. I think we see it. The league would probably never admit it. Um, but I think we see greater physicality in the playoffs. And the playoffs were incredible last year. Ratings were good. Great series. You had a play-in team and a number one seed playing in the finals. Like, they were upsets. I think uh, well, a lot of them were Miami. But, like, the playoffs were so much because it was competitive. And I think the fans like it. I think players like it. Uh, and so I, I'm on my soapbox you know, feeling like let's, I'm not saying we go even to FIBA level physicality, but the offense is so good that you got to give the defense a chance. And right now you really, you can't defend the incredibly talented, gifted, skilled, great shooting, all of that and more that you see in today's NBA. I mean, we're seeing guys put up 40 who, and 50 
that used to be a rarefied air for certain players. And it feels like it isn't. The numbers are just, you know, you're talking about those, some of those old Nick teams. And I, I remember sitting on press row at the uh, Madison Square Garden in your prime uh, in Detroit and watching you against those physical Knicks teams. And, and I believe this, and I've said this, you don't have to be sitting here for me to say it. When you were at the top of your game, when you were an all-NBA player, Grant, there, there were really two players that really only reminded me of Michael Jordan at the top. It was Kobe Bryant, and it was you. And, wow. I mean, the, the people, I think people sometimes forget. <laughs> I think sometimes people can forget that with you. Uh, because because your college career is so memorable to people, but you know, and they certainly remember. You talked about the injuries and what you went through, and you wouldn't have to go through it now for lots of reasons. But you were listen. You're in the Hall of Fame. You've set your you're you're part of the annals of the sport. But uh, but the physicality, though, of I mean, I can still see those guys meeting you at the rim in a way that. Like, you know, made you think twice about going back, going back in there. Man, so, yeah, I played small forward and, I mean, Anthony Bonner. I used to guard Anthony Mason. Like, Mason would guard (laughs) me and I would go by him and he'd foul me. And then Oakley would foul me after they blew the whistle. So you'd get hit like two or three times. The the Knicks had a rule. All five guys foul at once. They can only call it on one of us. Yeah. Seriously. That was their rule. That was a rule. I, I remember the first time I played the Knicks and, I mean, shoot, forget about the, the Pacers. I mean, with the Davis brothers and Rick Smith, Derek McKee. Derek McKee was 6'10", playing, picking me up full court, turning me like three, four times down the court. But I remember playing against the Knicks and I went to the hole and Oakley fouled me, like knocked me down. I'm on the ground. I get up and I go to the free throw line. The next play... I go right back in there, and, 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 and I get fouled again. And, I'm, and he, he says, you know what? You got heart. And he, and he picks me up. Now, the reality is I couldn't shoot. <laughs> all I could do was drive to the hole then, and so that's all I had. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was a little out there. But, I mean, even with that, the scoring low, I don't know, I just, I, you know, I mean, look, I know the pay, you guys score a lot of points, and you, you score a lot of points against my Hawks. Uh, I got a bone to pick about that. But, um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know, I feel like people like competition. Competition is fun. And, and, look, great offense always trumps great defense. You know, the, the top, I mean, guys now, like you can, I, I think of one of my last images, which is not a great image of me playing, was guarding the late Kobe Bryant. And we played him in the 2010 uh, Western Conference Finals. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm, 30, I'm 38 guarding Kobe Bryant with a bad ankle. Like, I must have pissed somebody off on my team. But anyway, I'm guarding him, and I don't know if I could have done anything better on that one play. And, he, you know, right in front of our bench, he goes right, he, bump, he ball fakes, I don't, go, I don't bite, I jump as he gathers and reloads. I'm, like, I'm, I'm right, I'm all over him. I don't know how he saw the basket, and he makes the shot. And so, to me, like, I look around, and I'm, I'm amazed at the talent, and I just feel like, Great players adapt, great players adjust, great players figure it out. And we have a lot of great players, including one here on this couch right now. You see, I'm in recruiting mode. (laughs) (laughs) How would you tweak the way the game is played right now? What's allowed, what isn't allowed? How would you tweak it? Or would you just keep letting them let you score 150? I I, I love the game. I mean... uh... (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's definitely some things that defensively, um, you know, that they could probably allow more, you know, hand-checking and things like that. Um, I think at the end of the day, people like to watch scoring as well, you know, and the league understands that, and that's why I think that the rules have changed so far, you know what I mean, to uh, obviously offensive-centric league. But I do think that, like you said, in the playoffs, things get a little more – I mean, again, I'm watching like you guys. I've never been there. Uh, but, you know, they're playing more physical, and you, you see that, and I think that everybody enjoys that competition. So, I mean, 
I don't really have any complaints yet, but I'm in year four, so ask me when I'm, how old are you? Much older than you. <laughs> yeah, ask me when I'm not. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Have you made your case for Paris? Do you feel like you're, you're making your case to be on that team? It's gonna be a, that's, a, that's a tough roster to crack. Yeah, you got to ask him. I, I don't know. I don't make the decisions. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, all I can do is control what I can and go out and perform every night. And, um, you know, I've spoken to Grant plenty of times. I've said it many times publicly. Like, playing for USA, is, I view that as a big honor. And, um, you know, like you said, a lot of guys on this year's – on that finalist roster are older guys, seasoned guys, guys who've played before. And uh, this this could potentially be a lot of their, their last hurrahs, you know. And um, I feel like I could be a part of the young core for USA moving forward. And, um, yeah, I want to win a lot of gold medals too. So, yeah, of course, I, I feel like that's something I would like to do. Guys, I could go – we could go all night with you guys. I appreciate you coming out. I appreciate all of you coming out. Okay. Kicking off All-Star Weekend here, Tyrese in the three-point contest in the skills competition, right? You went over to Lucas Oil today and got a little feel for... I did go to Lucas Oil today. Before the Pat McAfee show, I did go. It was a lot of fun. Guys, thank you. Thank you for coming out. Have a great All-Star Weekend, everybody. And, and thank you to these guys for doing this. This is a lot of fun. Thank you.